You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 128. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens and I'm your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. Now, this is a show dedicated to helping real people, that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, an educator, and a wealth advisor, and it is great to be with you today. Today's episode is a part two key questions for the long-term investor. But before I get to the topic of the day, I got to let you in on a little something. You know, I love my wife like crazy. We are soulmates. But whenever I get a chance to play a little joke on her, I do. And there was no better time than this week. And it started with what we thought was a major problem. You see, my wife came home from the store and she said that our credit card was declined. You know, I didn't get too up in arms because that happens. Sometimes it's just the reader at whatever store you're at. But I decided to open up our credit card statement online to look at the charges. And I started asking her questions about a shopping trip that appeared to happen the day before when I thought she was working. So I said, hey, baby, were you at TJ Maxx? Were you at Nordstrom Rack? And she said, no, she wasn't. So at that point, we knew we were hacked. We knew somebody was making transactions on our credit card. So I instantly called the credit card company and, you know, I got put on hold because that's what happens. While I was on hold, I started looking at those transactions and it posted the store number. So I looked up online and I found out that these stores were just a few miles away. I thought that was odd just because, you know, I've had uh, credit card transactions happen before that I didn't do. And normally they're from far away. So I thought it a little bit odd. So then I'm looking and it shows which credit card number, because my wife and I each have a card for this account, and it showed which number each transaction happened with. And I looked and it appeared to be my wife's card. So I was thinking she's the one that's hacked. So I said, hey, I just want to see your card. I want to verify the last four digits on your card. And so she takes the card out and the card has her friend's name on it. You see, it turns out that a few days before her and her friend went out to eat and they decided to split the tab and their credit cards were from the same company. So they looked the exact same besides their name. So when they left, they left with each other's cards. So in the, in the next two or three days, every time my wife charged, something she was actually using her friend's card and vice versa it was her friend who went on the shopping trip 
I was thinking to myself, you just can't make this stuff up. So she instantly calls her friend and her friend says that she canceled the card the day before because she saw transactions that she didn't do, which of course were my wife's transactions because she had her card. Crazy, I know, but the story gets better. Now, my wife has transactions on her friend's card and her friend has transactions on my wife's card, so they need to sort it out. So yesterday, my wife texted me and she she said she needed the statement or the most recent transactions so that they could go over them together made sense. So since I handle all the finances, I printed up the statements or I brought them up online and I thought to myself, how can I mess with them? I know that they're going to go through all these transactions together. So um, I turned the recent transaction sheet into a PDF and then I started to edit the PDF. And let's just say that I put in a transaction as best that I could as a last transaction where when they both look at it, they're going to be embarrassed and they're both going to say it wasn't me. And I didn't think I was going to get away with it because the font was a little different when I edited the PDF, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. (laughs) And guess what? It turned out it worked. My wife is calling me, texting me, saying, I didn't do this transaction. My friend didn't do the transaction. She thought it was me that did the transaction. And I finally broke the news. I said, take a look at the font that... I used to mess with her and she she figured it out. So that was a huge, huge bonus laugh for me and for everyone. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. Key questions for the investor part two. You know, and I'm sorry for that long-winded story. I thought it was super funny. You might have had to be in the moment. You might be thinking, listening in your car or with your earbuds, that that was pretty ridiculous. But I thought it was hilarious. So we're on a two-part series right now. Key questions for the long-term investor Part two, if you haven't listened last week, go to bestandwealth.com, listen to episode 127, go back in your iTunes podcast app or however you listen to this podcast and listen to last week's episode because I'm listing, I think, approximately nine key questions. And in the first episode or in the episode last week, I went through four of them. Actually, I have 10. And whether you're, you've been investing for decades or just getting started, at some point during your investment journey, you're likely to ask yourself some of these questions that I'm going through. Went through questions one through four last episode. Going to start with question number five today. And this is not an, ex- an exhaustive list. It's just questions that I thought of 
that I think are really relevant and start to build a story for your investment philosophy. The first four questions really start to dig in. The fifth question is, is there a better way to build a portfolio? Seems to be the question a lot of people ask when they're looking at their 401k and trying to decide on which mutual funds to choose. Or if they open up a brokerage account or an IRA account, how, which investment selections do I choose? Well, here at Fortress Planning Group, the company uh, that I own, and here at Best and Wealth, the podcast, we have a very dialed in specific investment philosophy. And we have this philosophy because academic research have identified that there are different ways that we should structure our stock portfolio. Our bond portfolio too, but I'm sticking with stocks. Because when we look at all the data, when we look at all the research, when we listen to the scientists that study the best way to build a portfolio and the way they study the stock market, there are broad groups of stocks that point to differences in expected returns for stocks. We don't attempt to outguess market pricing. We went through that in the first four steps or first four questions. But instead, we pursue higher expected returns by structuring our portfolio around premiums in the stock market when looking at broad groups of stocks. And the three premiums of how we structure our portfolio is through company size. Smaller companies do better than larger companies in the long run, or at least they have. We do it through relative price. Companies that trade closer to their book value in the long run have tended to do better than companies that are trading far away from their book value. And then lastly, profitability. Operating profits and book equity, those that have higher profitability tend to do better in the long run. And it makes sense. It makes sense because these three premiums actually add a little extra risk to your portfolio. Think of it like this. Bonds in the long run do better in cash because bonds are a little riskier. On a scale of 1 to 99, cash is about a 1. Bonds, short-term bonds, are about a 9. Long-term bonds, or the total bond market index, is about a 26. Large company stocks might have a risk number of about 68. Small company stocks might be in the 80s. You're taking a little more risk to get higher returns. It makes sense. And guess what? We have 95 years of data research to prove that this stuff has worked in the past and we believe will work in the future. Now, I'm not suggesting you go and change your portfolio to tilt in these directions without having a proper financial plan, without knowing your risk tolerance, because everybody's different. And most of my clients are not 100% in equities. We need something to dampen if we're going to take extra risk in the stock market to bring down the overall risk. 
This is not something that you should practice alone at home if you don't fully understand the implications of this investment philosophy. But yes, is there a better way to build a portfolio? Absolutely. Follow the academic research. Number six, is international investing for me? Well, diversification helps reduce risks that have no expected return. Diversification diversifies away from risk that doesn't pay you to take the risk in the first place. The term for that is called unsystematic risk. So diversifying within only your home market might not be enough. Instead, global diversification can broaden your investment opportunity set. And by holding a globally diversified portfolio, investors, you and me, are well positioned to seek returns wherever they occur. So think about question number five and dipping into these premiums of company size, relative price, and profitability. Well, we do that in the U.S. We also do that in developing markets, and we also do that in emerging markets. It helps in our diversification of companies, sectors, countries, these premiums. So is international investing for me? Absolutely. I'm not sure I need to point any further than what people call the lost decade. The lost decade was between 2000 and 2009 in that 10-year period. If you had a million dollars in your portfolio and you had all your money in the largest 500 companies in the United States, guess what? You'd have had an average return of negative 1% per year. That million dollars after 10 years would be 900000 A globally diversified portfolio during that same time period did well over 6% per year. Your money would have over doubled. All right, number seven, will making frequent changes to my portfolio help me achieve investment success? You know, this this is a big one because a lot of us say, you know what, I don't sell in a down market. I'm not, if we have another 2008, I'm not going to sell. That's not me. I'm not a market timer. But then when I dig a little deeper, I find that every year or two, they're looking at different mutual funds, swapping one for another, looking at the shorter range returns like the one year or the five year, and they're moving around in different investment philosophies. So it isn't much different than getting in and out of the market. You're still chasing the hot dot. It is tough, if not impossible, to know which market segments will outperform from period to period. It's way better to avoid any types of market timing calls and other unnecessary changes that can be costly because trading is very, very expensive, both implicitly and explicitly. So trying to time the market is one thing, but then trying to time which country is going to perform better, which asset class is going to perform better this year, which premium is going to perform better, which sector is going to perform better, that will be detrimental to your portfolio in the long run as well. You could get lucky, but we're not here as family stewards to be lucky. 
We want to set ourselves up for the best chance for success and allowing our emotions or our opinions about short-term market conditions to impact our long-term investment decisions can lead to extremely disappointing results. Which brings me right to question eight. Well, did I answer question seven yet? Will frequent changes in my portfolio help me achieve investment success? No, it won't. Stick with your investment philosophy. Okay, number eight. Can emotions affect my investment decisions? And that answer is yes. So many people struggle to separate their emotions from investing. Markets go up and down. Reacting to the current market conditions can lead to extremely poor investment decisions. This just builds on question number seven. The average person thinks about investing more in the market when the market's doing better. When really, most of us, unless you're taking out of your portfolio, if you're in retirement right now, we would be served well having a recession. Because guess what? If we're making systematic investments every single paycheck or month and we're buying low, we're buying the stock market on sale. But we don't think that way. We think that When we open up our statement, it ought to be positive every week, every month, every year, and every decade. You know, God did not build us to be a good investor. Investing should be like watching grass grow. All right, number nine, should I make changes to my portfolio based on what I'm hearing in the news? That is a big fat no. Listen very, very closely. Daily market news and commentary can challenge your investment discipline. Oh my goodness. Every single day, reading the news, looking at the business news, turning on the stock channels, looking at that ticker symbol, go up and go down, reading the article, a recession is here. That really challenges your investment discipline. And as I talked about last week or the last couple episodes, this is all about discipline. The messages that you hear on the news, they stir anxiety about the future while other people attempt to chase the latest investment fad. That is not us. We are not going to chase the hot dot, period. Because research and science shows that in the long run, that doesn't help us. In the long run, that doesn't help our family. So as a family steward, our number one job for our family is to stay disciplined. If the headlines are unsettling, consider the source and try to maintain a long-term perspective. Listen, the news channels want you to tune in every day. The newspapers want you to buy a newspaper every day. People are looking for subscribers. That's why predictions are made every day in sports and in the stock market. People are not paid to make the right prediction. They're paid to make a prediction, period. And if I can stir up your emotions, and I'm the editor of a newspaper, well, one thing is to start making some predictions. Who cares if they come true or not? It doesn't matter. 
I just want you to subscribe and to read or watch. Discipline, my friends. It's all about discipline. If you find yourself being anxious by whatever you're doing, listening or watching that has to do with your portfolio, the best advice is to turn that off. And this leads me to question number 10. You know, we went through nine questions in the last episode and in this episode. So given the answers to all of these questions, the next logical question that you should ask is, so what should I be doing? If we've answered all these questions and you believe in these answers, what the heck should you be doing? And here's my best advice. Here's my answer to that question. And I know this whole thing sounds like a commercial because I own an investment planning firm. And I don't mean it to be. All I know is that studies done by Vanguard and Michael Kitsis and others that say if you want to give your family the greatest chance for success, what should you be doing? You should be working closely with a financial advisor who offers expertise and guidance to help you focus on actions that add value to your financial life. Focusing on the things that you can control can lead to a better investment experience. So what are the things you can control to lead to a better investment experience? I'm going to give you five quick ones. Number one, create an investment plan to fit your needs and your risk tolerance. This is essential. You need a roadmap in order to develop a portfolio or an investment philosophy to take you there with the right risk level. Number two, structure your portfolio along these premiums of expected returns that we talked about in question number five, I believe. Number three, diversify globally. Listen, I talked to people in Canada they have a home bias. Most of their portfolio is Canada. I talk to people in Mexico. Most of their portfolio is in Mexican stocks. I talk to people in Europe. Most of their portfolio is in European stocks. U.S. is the same, but we, we need to diversify globally. We can have a little bit of a home bias, but we need to diversify globally. Next, manage expenses, turnover, and taxes. Every dollar that you can save in taxes and turnover and expenses will go to your portfolio, will go to your retirement. And lastly, but not least, the biggest one of all, and that is stay disciplined. You have to stay disciplined because guess what? If you don't, every one of these questions It don't matter. Your investment philosophy, it doesn't matter. Your investment plan, your retirement plan, it doesn't matter because everything should and is built on a long-term strategy. There's nothing in the research and science and data that says we should be making any short-term decisions about our long-term investment strategy. Gosh, I hope these questions help you guys. I hope that these 10 will help you think about your investment life and your 
future. And if you have questions, please reach out to me, scott at bestinwealth.com. And in the meantime, I got to go. I will see you on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone. The Best in Wealth podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.